This is Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 323. Building a platform is like so important because the number one thing to become a better networker, the number one thing is to add value, to learn how to give without the expectation of receiving anything in return. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Brandon, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David Green. David Green, tell me, on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling 11 after today's episode. <laughs> this guy yeah. is really good. Yeah, today, this, I know we say this all the time, but this is, again, one of my favorite shows we've done in a long time. We are interviewing a guy named Travis Chappell. He runs a podcast on networking. We'll talk about that in the show a little bit later. It's called the Build Your Network Podcast, but we talk a lot about, he's also a real estate investor. We talk about his real estate, his flipping, why he's getting out of rentals, but then we really dive into how to network with influential people, how to build mentors in your local market, how to get people that you consider your heroes, like online or in your local market, how to get in touch with them, how to have coffee with them. A few things I've just pulled out from today's show that just kind of a, to, I guess, tease you with is coming. Uh, make sure you guys listen to the key to success when partnering on a real estate deal with family or really anyone. There's like one thing that we pull out there that's really, really important. We talk about the most important skill that Travis has pulled out of over 200 interviews with people. Like when it comes to networking and being able to find success, he pulls out one skill he's find over and over and over, uh, works really well. And then he, towards the end of the show, we go into five key elements of an effective reach out message. In other words, when you call, text, email, somebody that you want something from, you want to go out to coffee with somebody, you want to network with them, you want to whatever, right? There's like five, uh, five key elements you've got to include in there. And in fact, Travis actually did this. We actually like laughingly, like it, it was pretty funny. He did this exact thing to me, which is how me and Travis became friends. Like I looked back in the very first message I ever got from Travis and it, he totally did this on me and it totally worked. So if you want to learn how to get in touch with people, you got to listen to this show. You're going to love it. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, 
you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. I don't want to forget the best part of the entire Bigger Pockets podcast, and that is the quick tip. tip. I didn't know if you knew where I was going there, David, but you caught on quickly. Well done. Quick tip. All right. Quick tip, quick tip, <laughs> Today's quick tip is simple. Uh, we talk a lot about this in the show today about networking at local events. So I'm just going to pull out again. I know we talk about this a lot, but I'm going to say it again. If you're not going to a local Bigger Pockets event, you're missing out on one of the most important things you can do as a real estate investor. So go to biggerpockets.com slash events, find an event in your area and go to it. And if there isn't an event in your area coming up or you don't like the ones that are there, go start your own, right? Like it's just such a good way to build connections with people and to really drive your business, your success forward. Again, biggerpockets.com slash events. And now I want to just go right into the show because again, today's show is fantastic. So I'm not even going to let you talk anymore, David. Okay. I'll let you say one more thing. Yeah. The one thing I want to say is make sure you listen all the way to the end because it gets really good at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really solid. So if you're like driving to work right now and you're not going to have time, listen on your commute home because uh, this is just powerful. Oh, also, uh, I didn't say this earlier, but he, make sure you guys listen to his negotiation tip. That was one of my favorite things he said all day is how he negotiates a lower price on properties. There's like one tip he uses on price anchoring. You're going to love it. So stay tuned for that. But without further ado, let's get to today's interview with Travis Chappell. All right, Travis, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How you been, man? Yo, what's up, guys? How's it going? You know, not too bad. Not too bad. You know, I was on your show a little while ago and, and we got to talking, you know, all about, you know, networking and how to build your brand and like get people to, you know, like you essentially. Right. And it was a ton of fun. And afterwards, I, I didn't know this while we were recording really much, but you were a real estate investor as well. So I was like, well, dude, we had a great time. I got to get you on the Bigger Pockets podcast and make this happen. So yeah, that's dude, why and- you're here. Every time I talk to you, I got to stop doing it on video because I always see the background of Hawaii <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah just, that is uh, from now on, it's just audio only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I, I always, I always tell people when they're like, you know, what's it like in Hawaii? I, I even said it to you this morning. I'm like, oh man, it's really, really rough lately. Actually. I mean, the winter's kind of cold out here. Like normally in the summer, it's like mid eighties and now it's like mid seventies. It's like, it's hard, you know? And all my friends like, in like, like Minnesota. Of Thrones winter right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> winter is coming. All right. So let's, let's jump into this thing. We'll go through your real estate story first. And I really want to get to later talking about, I mean, you've interviewed over 200 people on your show about networking and about building your, uh, you know, the people around you. Right. And it's so good. But before we get there, I want to go through your real estate story. So let's, let's start at the beginning. What did you do before real estate? And let's talk about how you got from there into your very first real estate deal. Yeah. Good question, man. So 
I did nothing before real estate because I grew up in a real estate household. So okay. my dad is uh, has been a real estate agent since I was like three or four years old. Um, so I was walking properties on Saturdays and Sundays since I could walk. You know what I mean? So as basically as soon as I graduated high school, I was in my first deal. Uh, my parents helped me out tremendously with that one. It, me and my sister did it together. But I will say that during that time, before I really got into you know knowing what I was doing, I did a lot of door to door sales. So. I was actually in college, grew up in a super traditional, let's say strictly Christian home. So I went to college actually for church ministries. I have my degree in Bible and church ministries. Yeah. So I actually have, I have have a degree in biblical, biblical studies. Oh, no way. Yeah. I didn't know that. So you want to talk theology then instead of real estate? Yeah, we can go theology all day. Yeah, this is great. All right. Um, But yeah, yeah. So during college, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, started knocking doors for uh, for the solar company. And I remember it being super intriguing to me because he had told me that he had made more money that week than he did the previous summer when he was working two full-time jobs and he only worked 20 hours that week. And so it kind of caught my ear and asked him if he could get me an interview with the supervisor and he did. So I started in door-to-door sales right then, sold solar for about a year and a half and then um, got recruited into the alarm industry and that got recruited into the water industry. And then it wasn't really until I was in the water business that I started doing a little bit more with real estate and actually starting to look to do deals just because um, I was was making some good money and I wanted somewhere to throw it. And I always believed in the long term of real estate. And I personally genuinely believe that if you ever desire to build any sort of wealth, that real estate has to be a part of that. And so I basically joined up with a a mastermind where I learned a little bit more about it. I started consuming a lot of content. Um, That's when I first started listening to your guys' show. Um, This show, Bigger Pockets, is like one of three shows that I've actually listened to from when I first started listening to podcasts and that I still currently listen to today. So yes. um, it's, an, it's an honor to be on, bro. It really is. Well, thanks, man. I'll take that as a win. You know, it's funny you mentioned you're in Dota to sales. So we had a guest, Andressa Gadelli from back on the show, like 314. She talked a lot about how door-to-door sales helped her get used to rejection and get that mindset right. Did you find the same thing? Like instrumental like good at, okay. Yeah. Can you talk about that for me? Like what, what is that mindset that you have to get into or that you learned to, to deal with that? Yeah, it's instrumental, bro. But I so much believe in door-to-door sales, really direct sales of any sort um, in, in in terms of learning how to communicate. Uh, this, just, this is a question that I've asked a ton of people on my show recently. What's the number one skill that you think is important to, to really develop as an entrepreneur or to be successful in whatever area of life that you're trying to be successful in? And the number one thing, the number one answer, I was expecting more specifics, um, but the number one answer that I've been getting is communication because most of the things that we need to master as business people, as investors, as agents, whatever you you are the most of those things fall under the communication category. You yeah. get sales, negotiation, marketing, networking, like persuasion, all of that stuff falls under the category of communication. And there is no better crash course in how to communicate with people than door to door sales. Like, because we, we all know that uh, maybe, maybe not we all know, but our, our communication is 7% the words that we say. But you don't know that and you don't you don't hone the ability to learn how to read between the lines unless you just go out and do it. You can read as many books in the world, like as many books as you want to listen to as much audio as you want to. But the number one thing that's going to sharpen that skill set is just by getting out and doing it, by going out and talking to people. And uh, door to door just cuts your teeth on that kind of stuff, man. Like it it was a, a really, really big crash course for me in all of the above. Plus, I got to get into the recruiting of new reps. I got into training reps on how to sell. I got into managing 
managing reps. And so there were so many lessons that I took from that and now have used in a, in a variety of senses, especially coming into the podcast, because man, that's just a whole different type of rejection. Like uh, (laughs) with door to door, you know, like I'm knocking on Joe Schmo's door down the street and trying to sell him an alarm. You know, if he tells me to get the F off his porch, which happened multiple times, like, I don't really care. Like it doesn't really bother me that much. Like it, it hurts a little bit for me. Like one of the things that I did just to kind of cope with it was I would just turn it into a game. So anytime anybody was like remotely mean to me, I would just like really <laughs> challenge myself to see how long I could hold them on their front porch without closing the door in my face. Um, so I would just like flip it around and turn it into something fun. And then when I left, I was pretty much done with it. Like I would, you, I left and had that like continuous conversation going in my mind, like you do, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, for well, sure. F me, F you. And you have like all these like different <laughs> back and forth. But by the time we knock on the next door, like mine's cleared and you're ready to go. And that kind of stuff has been been super valuable. But coming into the podcasting space, like now I'm reaching out to people that like I respect and I admire and like I want to have a relationship with, like I want to learn from and be mentored by, you know what I mean? People like people, honestly, people like you, people like my uh, one of my other podcasting mentors, John Lee Dumas or my buddy Jordan Harbinger now, uh, and even people like Grant Cardone and Jay Papazan, some other of those people yeah. where it's just like, man, I look up to these people like they're yeah. they're like the people that I want to be like, I want to model certain parts of my life after. So reaching out to them was a lot scarier than like knocking on somebody's some some random person's door but having that experience behind me when i started reaching out to these people helped tremendously in my ability to be persistent without being super pushy so yeah it's it's been inst- instrumental for me yeah that's awesome all right so i want to i want to dive into that actually a little bit I'll, I'll go back to the real estate right now and then we'll go back to the, the networking cuz i think that's fascinating so to go you said you you started making some money you started doing this walk us through your first deal you did by yourself then i mean like, i know you said you did something with your sibling back when you were, yeah. you were younger with your parents but what was the first deal you did on your own yeah the first deal i did on my own was just a little bit of a house hacking situation um okay uh, I basically just tried to find a deal. It wasn't like a, a technical house hack because we weren't renting out a room or anything like that. But it was basically like we just wanted to get into we knew that the market was going up. This was like 2014 or so. So still like right in the middle of when, you know, everything was on the on the increase. And so I, we had just gotten married. My wife and I had just gotten married. We just graduated college and just moved out of Southern California up to Fresno, Central California. And what, when we were moving there, I really wanted to get into my first deal. I wanted to buy a house and like own something. But I was 21 years old. I didn't have my, the commission income that I had was not the two full years, um, which obviously after the crash, you have to have two full years of hundred percent commission or 1099 income in order to yeah. prove to the banks that I can pay my mortgage. Yeah. So I literally took an internal transfer in the solar company that I was knocking doors for so that I could get a salary for a certain period of time just so that I could get the house under contract. And then literally that was the longest time, by the way, that I've ever held a nine to five was during <laughs> that week, of t- that, that five week period of time. I, that was the only time I ever like had to actually go and like stick to a schedule and like work for somebody else. And so literally a day or two after we closed escrow on that property, I, I quit that job and went back to what I was doing. But it was a, it was a small, it was like a, it was in a, it was in a planned unit development. So a really small, like 4,000 square foot lot, 15, 1600 square foot house that we picked up for, it was listed for like 180 and we picked it up for like 163, 164. I didn't know a ton about real estate at the time, but I knew that looking for foreclosures was typically where you're going to get a better 
deal. So when I was looking for properties, I told my realtor, like only pull up foreclosures because I'm not interested in buying in a house, buying a house in like an emotional state to, you know, raise my family in. I'm looking for a deal here. So I want to make sure that if I can buy it, it's, it's in decent condition so I can move in immediately, but it's not in perfect condition because while we're there, I want to be able to fix it up so that when we move away, we'll actually be able to have some increased equity in the home. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah, that's great. You know, we talk a lot about house hacking and, and it's kind of a loose term that doesn't have a perfect definition, but since I invented the term, I'm going to give it a definition right now. Like, I mean, like the way I look at house hacking, it could be a, it's like any real estate deal that you can combine an investment with a primary residence, right? And so that could include a single family house. Like my buddy Connor, who is, uh, works at Bigger Pockets, he helps with all the ad sales. Uh, Connor bought a single family house, rented out the bedrooms. He even did my trick of like buying, like finding a two bedroom house with over a thousand square feet. So then he was able to add a third bedroom in there. And now he house hacks that way, right? Other people, mm-hmm. like I bought my first thing was a duplex. I lived in one unit, rented the other out. That's probably the most common way to phrase it. But the third way that we don't talk a lot about, but it's very powerful, it's that buying a really good single family family house. That's for people, especially if you don't want to live in the duplex or can't find the duplex triplex, find a really good deal on a single family house, live there, especially if you live there for a couple of years and then sell it. If you get a great deal when you buy it and prices go up, you can make a ton of money that way that can then propel you into further real estate stuff. So yeah, definitely, yeah I would definitely. include that as house hacking. That's cool. Perfect. Cool. As long as the person who invented the term includes <laughs> it, I guess it, I guess yeah, so it you, counts. You just got blessed <laughs> by go. the godfather. Yeah. <laughs> the godfather of house acting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, actually, yeah, that term came from an article I wrote like five and a half years ago called How to Hack Your Housing and Get Paid to Live for Free. And it was all on like, I was like, you know, about to do it. It's like everybody does stuff and then nobody has a name for it. So yeah, when you put right. a name to it, like this goes to marketing, right? Now like, it's a thing now. Yeah, yeah when you exactly. put a name to it, it's a thing. And now like, yeah, <laughs> right, like Burr, burr investing, yep. like Burr, house hacking. Yeah, we got all these terms we throw around. <laughs> Isn't that I a know. good point to illustrate Travis's point that like communication is so important? Because all you're yeah. doing is taking a word and applying it to a concept, but because now it's being communicated well, everybody feels like, oh, I can go do it. It's been around forever, but no one was doing it because it wasn't being communicated well. 100%, yeah. bro. 100%. Yeah, in fact, in fact, this is a good tip in general. Like if you're going to go ever pitch a deal in front of an investor, a lender, a partner, your own spouse, your husband or your wife, like, man, like get clear, like get like, like people like use all the, like all this jargon of like, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. But like when you just get clear, it's like, Hey, I'm going to house hack. Like it's, it's like people just like the simplicity of that. Uh, kind of like when you present a deal, be simple in your presentation skills in your PDF document, you give people in the way you describe it. Right, those things. Right. Simplicity is Plus, so that was uh, speaking of uh, selling your spouse. That was uh, that was a much easier sell for me. A single family yeah. home that we got a good deal on that we put sweat equity into while we yep, lived there, yep. and then selling it in a year and a half rather than because in the in certain parts of California, it's difficult to find like multifamily that aren't in sure. really sketchy parts of town. Yep. So when we, we initially moved, we were actually looking for a duplex because that was my initial thought. And it was just kind of sketchy. I didn't super like feel comfortable bringing, you know, my, my, my brand new wife to this, like the, here's, here's what I'm providing for you, babe. You know? So, uh, <laughs> moving to a single family home that was in a little bit of a gated, it was in a gated community and all that kind of stuff and finding the, a really good deal on that home. And then just, it, it was, it was livable, but it wasn't perfect. So we just moved in, just put a bunch of sweat equity into it. And then year, year, a year, year and a half later, we, we, picked it up for 160 165 we sold it for 205 i think like a year year and a half later that's awesome. That's very cool. We're we're gonna coin a new term today. We're gonna call that burr hacking. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You buy a, you buy a, a little bit of a fixer upper, the foreclosure, 
or, uh, or oh, as uh, as Kevin said, burn key instead of turnkey, it's burn key. Burn right, key. We, there we, you go. We can go that burn key. All right. I say Berkey, but that sounds like turkey. Anyway, all right. So you bought this house, you sold it. What came next? Yeah. So next was when I made the mistake of thinking that that was what I was going to do for a long time. And okay. the second house, remember the first house I said, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't emotional about it at all. It was just yep. a house. I was going to sell it and make some money. The second house, we got a little bit too emotional about it. And, yeah. uh, w- that is when I officially made the rule that I am not going to buy the house that I live in unless it's like a stellar deal. There's always exceptions, but for the most part, I made a rule that for where I live, I'm probably just going to rent and that then I can buy where I can rent out. And so we bought that second house and it wasn't a bad deal, but it wasn't a good deal. Like we still own that property and we'll probably, well, we're putting it on the market actually in the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks. And this is like three or four years later, but, and, and we'll make a little bit of money on it, but it wasn't great. We had to put some work into it. It's been more of a nightmare to manage it. What, what would have been better is if we would, if we really wanted to move, we should have just moved into like a, a an apartment, rented somewhere and then bought multifamily out in the same area that we were living in. Like looking back is what I would want to do, but that is not what we did. We went back to the single family route and, uh, but yeah, you live, you live and you learn. Well, let's talk about this for a minute. Cause this is something that comes up a lot. I hear on the forums or at meetups, people ask the question, should I, like, is it weird for me to rent, but still invest in real estate? Like, can I rent somewhere? Isn't that wrong? Doesn't that like violate some kind of 11th commandment to like to, to rent and to invest in real estate? What do you think on that? Yeah, I don't think so at all. When when I first, I think it was actually, um, I think it was actually Grant Cardone, the first person that I heard say that, and it like blew my yeah. mind because it went against everything that we're taught. You know, like that's that's the American dream is like you you buy a house. So like when I bought my house at 21, I was like, yeah, I'm killing it. I'm 21. I own my own house. And then afterwards I realized after I bought my second house that it's really not a great deal all the time. Like unless you're planning on owning it for the next like two or three decades, then it might not be a good move because your money can make you more money in other areas. So the reason is that when you buy a house to live in, it's no longer an asset. It's no longer the definition of an asset. It doesn't pay me any money. All it does is cost me money. I have to, like, I'm the one paying the mortgage. Like, I'm the one paying the interest on the mortgage. I'm the one that's paying for any repairs. I'm the one that fixes stuff. If, like, now in a, in a rental property, like, if something goes wrong, I don't fix it. I don't have to pay to fix it. I call the landlord and they come out and fix it. And yep. then uh, you still invest into real estate, but just not where you live um, because you want to own assets. You want to own cash producing assets, not liabilities that cost you a bunch of money and then, you know, hold you down to a certain location for a long period of time because you like, you can't ever time the market, you know what I mean? So like you, you might think the market's going up, but then what if it doesn't anymore? And now you have a mortgage payment on a house that's worth more, that's worth less than what you paid for it. And now like market rents go down a little bit and now you're barely covering your mortgage, or maybe you even have to come out of pocket every single month to make the payment on that house. If you put a renter in there, or you're going to stay in that house forever. Like, are you going to be chained to a certain location, even though there might be an opportunity that have, that maybe have like came up across the country or maybe um, down the street or something like that, where you could have gone to this other thing and done way better 
better and made more money, but you're going to be chained to this one single family little location because that's the decision that you made a few years back. And then if you do move, you're not going to get a good deal on rent. You're barely covering your mortgage. You got to come out of pocket in tax season, like all of those different things like you don't really think about, but they're definitely there. Whereas if you just buy an asset that's for the cash producing part of it, that stuff is like a non-issue. Like you can, you can weather the storm if you get a good deal because you're making money the whole time, regardless of if the market goes up or down during the time that you own it. So you're, you're renting now instead of owning, you're pretty committed to real estate. It sounds like if you're willing to do that, can you give us an idea, a big picture of how many rentals you own now, where you're making money, how many houses you're flipping, stuff like that? Yeah. So my real estate stuff is all a side hustle for me. I currently, we in the last year or so, we've started offloading all of our rentals. We, we had four. We had a, a, a duplex a, and then three single family homes. But uh, we've sold two of them in the last three or four months. One of them's on the market and we're putting the last one on the market in the next couple of weeks. Um, so right now I am cashing out on all of my rentals. And then last year we did about four or five, five flips. And then this year we just put one under contract. And what's, cool. what's causing you to want to cash out on the rentals? Uh, whispers, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, it's it's mainly just the fact that I see uh, interest rates starting to go up a little bit and they, they've leveled out. I'm, I'm not expecting like a, a crash or anything like that. But I mean, you got to know that there's some sort of a correction coming. It's just history. It's facts like it's going to happen at some point. And uh, for me personally, I'm in a position where the money would be better served, not sitting in an asset, but more producing income in my main business, like in my main hustle. So I'm pulling money out of investments so that I can use it right now to pull more, to put more money into my brand equity and build more of a, uh, build, build more into my main source of income. It's very interesting. So I'm assuming you're not doing a 1031. You're not exchanging the money into another asset class. No. Yeah. And that's, this is okay, right? Like a lot of people just think the idea of paying taxes is just so horrific. It's like unfair. They shouldn't have to. But I mean, if you're paying a lot yeah, of taxes, fun. no, it's not fun, but right. You made a lot of money. That's why you have a lot of taxes to pay, right? There's something yeah, to be said for that. Look at it, yeah. And if you look at the money that you would pay in taxes and you compare that to the return you think you're going to get investing in yourself, if the return investing in yourself is better, you're making the smart financial move by paying taxes. And I just want to highlight, it's easy to get into a mindset of like, this is the only way you do stuff. This is what other people did. This is all I'm ever going to do rather than take, kind of take a step back and look at the big picture and say, well, for the opportunities that I have available to me, what's the best option? Right, right. I think people get confused and think that the, that money is the ultimate asset. And I disagree with that. I think that time is the ultimate asset. So whatever I can do to give myself more time, and a lot of, a lot of times that's going to be real estate investing, but at the moment currently for me, I would rather take that out and put it into my brand equity, especially like if I'm going to try to, if, you, if you're going to look for an exchange on a deal and then like put yourself in a not great deal just because you don't want to pay taxes, like I just don't see the point. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely danger in that. I mean, I even look back on the deal that I bought, you know, I had a 1031 exchange. People listen to the show for a while. will know that like I was in the middle of one. I bought something like, honestly, like, I know that I, I probably overpaid for at least one of the properties. One of them, I think I got a home run on the other one. Like I probably overpaid because I was emotional at the time. Now it'll turn out fine. I'm sure it'll make money on it. But like, had I had more time and not been under the gun of the 1031 exchange, I probably would have spent more time looking for something better or, you know, maybe just like held the money for a while and then done something else, you know? So like mm. there's definitely a pro and con of the 1031 there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think every yeah. deal is, every, every deal is different. You know I mean? Like yep. this works for me specifically may not work for you. If you're listening, just evaluate, do your research and figure out what options can be best for you. Yeah. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. So, okay, let's, let's talk about the flipping then. So last year you did five flips. Uh, was that purposeful? Were any of those live-in flips? I mean, kind of walk us through the, that journey a little bit. Yeah, none of them were live-in flips. Uh, they were okay. all purposeful. My dad was my partner on those. Um, so okay, I'm cool. blessed to have direct access to somebody who has a lot of knowledge on the real estate markets. Yeah. So for me, it was more about finding connections to people. I'm the networking guy. Um, yep. so finding connections and, and, and kind of sourcing deals. And then he, he had a lot of market knowledge to be able to like, tell us, Hey, this is a good deal. This is a bad deal. This is where we should spend money on the rehab. This is where we shouldn't spend money in the rehab. So he's more kind of like the managing partner. And then I was always responsible for securing the financing as well. Okay. Well, let's talk about a couple of those things. First of all, where, where are these flips at? Uh, Southern California. Okay. Southern California. So but you, can't invest, you can't invest in real estate in Southern California. I hear it all the time. So <laughs> yeah. clearly you're doing something wrong. Okay. No, that's great. Okay. So almost every, almost every big investor I know is in Southern California right now. And that, that's just me personally, just from the network that I've built, just cause I'm yep. in a, in a high, high level mastermind of a bunch of Southern California real estate investors. And there's okay, a lot yeah. of people killing it right now. So that, that, that's just a, you know, misnomer. If the deal is good enough, you can make money anywhere. But you don't live in Southern California. You live in Vegas. Right. You, you also can't invest in real estate at a distance. I hear that all the time as well. So clearly <laughs> yeah. you found a way to do that too. And that was through a partnership, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Cool. I just think there's just every deal, man. Like every deal is going to be different. Like there, everybody's looking for these overarching rules, like can't invest at a distance. You can't, you yeah. know, you can't invest in LA. You can't make money here. You can't, can't make money there. Like the, the deal is the deal, regardless of all the other like cloud stuff. 
the deal is in the dirt, like the deal is in the number. So if it's a good deal, it's going to make money regardless of all the other stuff. Yeah. I like that. The deal's in the dirt. I'm going to totally make that into an Instagram quote. Yes. <laughs> the deal is in the I've d- made it. I'm literally going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get a nice picture of you and put your, you know, quote card over your face. It's going to be great. Awesome. You're going to be a meme before you know it. All right. Uh, how did you find, like, how do you find properties? Like what, what's your guys' kind of strategy? MLS? Are you doing anything more creative? MLS? Yes. Uh, but also I, I think this is huge and this may kind of sound like hokey or like magical or whatever. But I think that there's a lot to be said for just putting something out into the universe and then using your existing connections to like make sure that that comes to fruition. So what I mean by that is like, if you're an investor or if you're looking for your first deal, or if you're thinking about doing a first deal, but you're not sure where to start and you haven't told like everybody that you know Mm -hmm. that you're looking for a deal, then I think that you're making a mistake. Yep. I a hundred percent agreed because you'll be surprised. Like what you put out there is going to come back to you and what you focus on, you get more of. And so a lot of our deals have just found by saying like, Hey, we're looking for a bunch of deals. And then we tell everybody and then people bring us deals. <laughs> like it's, it's, yep. and, and, and just telling the right people, you know, having the right connections, meaning that you tell, you know, people that are in houses, every like handyman, like one of our good deals last year, we found from a, a handyman, um, who was just like, fixing somebody's stuff. And then she was like, Oh yeah, I'm thinking about selling my house, but I, you know, it's, it was in really bad shape and I'm not sure anybody's going to buy it. So he came to us and was like, Hey, I have this person who might want to put a deal together. And then that's where the deal came from. We didn't go searching for it. We didn't put out a ton of postcards or like yellow letters or anything like that. Not that any of those things are bad, but I'm saying like, if you're looking for deals and you haven't told everybody, then like start there because you'll be surprised on what you can farm out of that. You know, I, I think I told this story when I was on your show and if not, you know, well, either way, I'll tell it again real quick now. I know I've mentioned it here before, but you know, a year and a half ago or when I was on that 1031 exchange or a little over yeah, a year and a half ago and I was looking for this property, right? I was telling everybody I knew that I was looking for deals. So I flew to New York to hang out with a friend of mine, went to his local meetup. He, uh, Darren Sager has a meetup. I went there and I was speaking to the group about just whatever the topic was. But mm-hmm. of course I mentioned, cause I, I mentioned everywhere I was looking for a mobile home park, right? So one of the gentlemen sitting in the audience that day happened to be my friend Ryan Murdoch, who we had kind of known each other because he was on our podcast. But that was it. Anyway, two weeks later, he gets an email from someone who wants to sell their mobile home park. So then Ryan's like, oh yeah, I th- uh, Brandon wanted one. So he contacts me. We end up partnering together. And now, I mean, like now fast forward a year, Ryan lives out in Maui with me and we're running our like kind of a real estate business together. He's also on board at Bigger Pockets, like all just because like all that started and and the, the mobile home park's printing money like an ATM machine. It's awesome. Uh, I was going to ask uh, yeah. you how you like that deal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that deal so much. I mean, yeah. no, everybody listening to this mobile home parks are horrible. Stay away from them. They're absolutely <laughs> yeah. horrible Yeah, and leave them for me. <laughs> and no, I really, really like it a lot. I mean, it took a year. It took a year to transition and there was a lot of rehabs in there, but like it all came from that telling people what I wanted, networking and, uh, you know, building that, the, you know, again, ex- everything you're teaching, everything you're talking about. It's like a perfect example of that. Do you guys mind if I run Travis through a little exor- exercise here to illustrate Brandon's mm. point? All right. Go Travis, it, if you've already seen this, which you may have, please just go along with it. So what I want to <laughs> do is I want to make an example of uh, brand awareness and how important it is. So I'm going to say the name of a product and then Travis, you're going to jump in with the first two brands that you can think of. So if I said shoes, you'd probably say Nike and Reebok, right? The very first two things you think of. All right. Let's do it. Ready? Yes, sir. Go for it. Toothpaste. Colgate and um, Crest. Okay. So as you can tell, Colgate clearly owns 
the brand awareness in Travis's head and Crest is a close second. Now, here's the cool thing. I've done this to about 50 people and I have never heard an answer that wasn't Colgate or Crest. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the really? only two things. When people are under pressure, that's what they say every single time, right? So they're dominating that space. Now, here's why that is important. When you go to the grocery store and you have to grab some toothpaste for somebody, you're just going to, as soon as your brain sees Colgate or Crest, you're going to grab it and you're going to go, Right. That's how most things in life work. When Brandon told the world, I want a mobile home park, he was basically saying, I need some toothpaste. And when people saw, oh, there's a mobile home park, they immediately thought of Brandon because he's Colgate or Crest. Totally. So he's he's telling the world, here's what I want. And everybody sees a mobile home park, they immediately think Brandon Turner because he associated his name with what he wanted, which is really what networking or branding or marketing is in its core, right? It's associating you with a product. And that is where I think like the point Travis is trying to make of how branding and how networking gets you deals. It's not handing out business cards to as many people as you can find. It's joining your name with real estate or mobile home park or house to flip or whatever you're looking for, getting your sphere to recognize, all right, that's what Brandon wants. So how do I tell him? And that's how Brandon got the deal. Travis, I'm going to let you run with it from there. Like, What are some things you've learned that have led to you using your marketing knowledge to get yourself deals? Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, that's really, really great insight. I appreciate you bringing that up. One thing on that too, really quick is that it's not, it wasn't just the fact that Brandon was putting out into his network that he was looking for this particular deal. It was also the fact that Brandon is like now become the real estate guy. Like he's the host of the bigger pockets podcast, the largest real estate podcast in iTunes, right? So like all of that is going to attract all of those people, right? Because if, if, um, let's say that three people told that same guy that they were looking for a mobile home park, then that the same guy that Brandon told, yeah. what, like, what are the odds that they're going to tell Brandon first? Probably pretty high because typically people of uh, pe- people that are put that have put themselves in a really good position get access to those t- types of deals and that kind of information first because other people are looking to add value to those people. So if you can become a person who is a valuable person who has been set apart from a bunch of other people because of a platform that you've created for yourself, then you're going to create deals where deals aren't because people are going to come to you first. Like people are going to actually do the legwork for you. Just just to be able to connect with you and add value to you. Um, so I think that that's a, a huge differentiator right there, not just putting out something into the world, but making it about who you are and like telling people that this is who I am. You know who does a really good job of this? So Joe Fairless has been on our show before. Joe Fairless has a podcast called The Best Ever Podcast, uh, and it's a daily real estate show. And it's really good. I've been on it a few times. I, I don't know, David, you've been on it before? Yeah. Twice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a great show, right? But, but here's how we, I mean, Joe owns 500 million or, you know, controls, whatever you want to call it. Cause the syndicator now $500 million of real estate. And how does he raise money? Through his platform. I mean, like, you know, mm. indirectly through his platform, building yep. relationships, right? How does he get deals filtered to him? Indirectly through his platform. Like he just does this probably better than almost anybody I know. Maybe Grant Cardone is up there too, right? I was going to say Grant's the same way. Yep. Yeah, yep. same way, right? Massive platform, use the drive real estate. Now, now let me focus in on the, the newer investor or the newer, you know, I've got my first deal. I don't have any deals yet. I can't go build a real estate platform. I can't be Grant Cardone. I'm not that crazy, right? Like, what is, like, how does this apply to, to the 90% of the people that don't have that platform right now? Yeah, I think that 
I, I honestly, like I'm going to go a different route than probably you're asking, but I, sure. I think that that's kind of a limiting mindset if you're sitting there thinking that about yourself, because the coolest thing about all this online stuff, bro, is like, you don't have to be the expert right off the bat. Like when I started my show, I was not a networking expert at all. I'd never been to a single networking event before I started my show, Build Your Network. And yep. then in a year and a half, my name is associated with networking because I've yep. built a show around that. But I've just been an investigator. All I've done yeah. is brought people along with me on a journey of discovering how to network the right way and how to teach people how to build and cultivate genuine relationships with important people in their lives and how to do that the right way. And I've like I've been learning along the way, just like an audience member. I'm just the one like captaining the ship, right? Like so. And uh, I'll give you another example. I have a couple of friends. Shout out to Steve and Randy who uh, have this company. They invest in multifamily real estate. They didn't know a thing about real estate when they started. But they started a meetup group. So not a podcast, yep, yep, not a YouTube yep. channel. Started a meetup group just about real estate. Started with like three or four people. They had a thousand people at an event recently that they did did a, wow. did, did a joint venture with another another real estate company. Had a thousand people at an event recently. They now like control a few million dollars in real estate from people from private money giving like people giving them money because they created a platform even though they weren't the experts. So yep. I, I would say that I would say to somebody like that who's sitting there thinking like, man, I've never even done a deal before. You don't have to position yourself as, as the expert. Like there's somebody in your market guaranteed right now that will be willing to come to and speak to a group of four people totally for free. Like yep. go find a mortgage professional, go find, go find a, a, a real estate agent, a top producer or an investor in your area and say, Hey, I'm putting together this real estate related meetup. It's going to be on, you know, at the end of this month. And to be honest with you, there's probably not going to be a ton of people. This is the first one, but I would love it if you came out and spoke to us um, and, and and told us something valuable about the real estate market right now or something like that. First of all, you're adding value to a number of people. You're adding value to yourself because you're connecting with other people. You're adding value to the person that's coming to speak because you're putting them in front of other people who they may be able to be, do business with. And you're adding value to any attendees that might be coming because they have the ability to learn something about real estate that they may not have known before. Plus, during this entire time, you're learning. You're learning yeah. everything that you want to know about real estate directly from the sources that you have around you. So I, I think that I think that if you're thinking that way, that there's there's really no limitations. Like you don't have to be the expert and you don't have to lie about it because I hate when people do that too. Uh, yeah. Because some people will start their own platform and then yeah. lie about it and pretend like they are the expert just to get people to like them and to get people to trust them. And then they sell these crazy packages to them that actually have no value because they're not actually good at what they do. They just built a platform around lying about it. So I'm not encouraging you to lie about, lie about it. Like be honest, tell people like, look, I'm at the beginning of this journey. I just wanted to create something where I, we, a bunch of us could come together and we could all kind of learn from each other and really take the next step in our, in our real estate career. And if you do that for a long period of time, like if you create that consistent, valuable content with context, so consistent, yep. valuable content with context, you set, you put it in front of the right people. If you create that over a long period of time, you will build some sort of a following. You will build some influence. You will build a platform and you will start attracting a lot of those deals that most people are never going to be able to get their hands on. Oh I man, think, that's so good. I think one point to, to make in this is that you crest and Colgate aren't necessarily known as the best toothpaste. I have no idea <laughs> if they have like a better fluoride count than like Aquafresh <laughs> or something. Right? right. All I know is that's what I know. So right. if you're that person to your sphere, when a house, when, when an old janky house comes up and, and there's an opportunity to get it off market, you just needed them to think of you. And if you've been doing yeah. meetups to four people, to those four people, you're the crest and the Colgate, right? Like mm -hmm. that's, that's just the point I wanted to make.
Yeah. And another thing too, um, I have an, an, another buddy out here in Vegas. They, they do a lot of business. Maybe I can make an intro to you guys actually. His name is Luke and they do like, I want to say they're doing like 300 flips this year. Um, so wow. they're, they're cranking out, cranking out deals. And he puts together a real estate meetup and he's told me several times, he's like, bro, I know that there's people that do stuff during my meetups that I never get any money on. Like yep. I host the meetup, I pay for the meetup, like it's free food, free drinks. I bring everybody together and I know people are doing business without me ever getting a slice of any of that. But guess what? I don't care. Like yep. I'm like, if, if you're in that mode of like, well, what if I bring people together and then, and then that, that guy does a deal with that guy and I don't make any money on that. And that could have been my deal. Like yep. if you're thinking that way, you got to fix your broken scarcity mindset to begin with. And you got to like get more in that abundance mentality of like, look, there's deals for everybody out there. If you create that platform, you become a person of value and you're going to get your hands on more deals. Plus you're going to help source more deals for more people. And you get, and you know what the number one way to build influence is with people add value. Like John Maxwell yeah. blew my mind. He came on my show and he, and I asked him like about leadership. Cause he's always, he's the leadership guy. Right. And I was like, Hey, what about, um, what about influence? Like you're an influential person. How did you build influence? He's like, Travis, the number one way to build influence is adding value. If you add enough value to people, you will have influence with them. Cause as this is the age of the quote unquote yep. influencer, right? Everybody wants to be an influencer. Um, but most people go about it the completely wrong way. They position themselves in this, this like lofty area where like they try to be untouchable and be a celebrity and stuff like that. But it's not about any of that. It's simply yep. about adding value to people. If you add value to people, you will have influence with them. And so for somebody like this guy who's hosting this meetup and all these deals are getting done and this person's doing a deal with that person, he didn't have anything to do with it, but he helped those two people connect. He just added a ton of value to both of those people. And now are they going to come out to the next meetup? Yeah, probably. Are they going to buy his book? Yeah, probably. If they find a deal again and have the opportunity to work with him, are they going to bring it to him? Yeah, probably. You know? I mean, like it's just yep. good for yep. everybody. Yeah, that's so good. And to, to take this even more tangible for all of our listeners out there, you know, bigger pockets, we actually have a place on the site uh, where we like people can host meetups. And so if you go to biggerpockets.com slash events or just click the word networking in our toolbar, I mean, we even have networking in our toolbar at the top, right? Or at the top of the uh, anywhere you go on bigger pockets. Anyway, go there and there's a map and you can, or you can just look down below at the actual individual cities. There's probably a hundred, at least a hundred meetups going on every single month somewhere in the country. Now, there are a lot more than a hundred cities, which means that there, I would say 99% of the cities out there do not currently have a bigger pockets meetup right now happening on a regular basis. Now there are, I mean, all the big cities, yeah, you're going to find a bunch in Seattle and a bunch in New York and Las Vegas probably. But even if there are there, I mean, go, go to them. And if you don't love it, go start your own, make it find a unique way to build something, uh, you know, different. Uh, one guy who does this really well, uh, is, uh, David, my buddy, David Perret. Uh, he's a, um, he's been on the podcast actually before, and he's been on some bigger pockets, uh, live videos, but this guy's like, he's, he's in the Marines. He lives over in Oahu in a very expensive market yet. He started a local meetup there just in Oahu for people. And the first time had a couple, three, four, five people showing up. Now he consistently has 20 or 30 or 40 people showing up. Me and him have become friends because I see him as kind of a leader in that space, in that market. Uh, and then now he's doing a bunch of real estate deals and he's gaining confidence, getting all this stuff. And so anyway, if people want to go and host their own meetup, just go to biggerpockets.com slash events, E V E N T S. Uh, and, uh, yeah, host something. I think you have to be a pro member to actually host an event, but you don't have to be a pro member to go to an event just to actually post in that forum to host something. So anyway, I love that you said that. Cause like I've seen that work over and over and over and over and over again, the meetup thing. So it does, people don't have to go be the next Grant Cardone and start a massive podcast and live tweet their entire day, right. <laughs> or live, live Instagram their whole day. Right. Yeah. But just by doing that event, yeah. uh, easy. 
And, and that's and that's one reason that I love podcasting too. Um, yeah. By the way, Brandon, because like you don't have to invest in this expensive studio. Like all three of us right now are sitting in our home offices at a desk with a boom arm and a mic plugged into our computer, yeah. and like we're all podcasting now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there is almost zero. Like there's yeah. there's no production cost. Like it does not cost you a ton of money to have a quality show. If you're gonna do like a yep. YouTube channel or something like that, it might cost you some money. Um, that's why I always recommend to start with a podcast or something like that or a meetup group, something that doesn't cost you a lot of money, but still gives you the platform that you need to like voice your opinion and learn, like learn while you go. You don't have to learn, 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 and then implement like a year later. You can learn while you're doing all of this stuff. And that's the coolest thing about this. Yeah, that's so, so true. Very, very cool. All right. So let's, let's shift back again. And I want to wrap up a couple of things more about your real estate. Then we'll move into the deal deep dive, the, uh, and the fire round famous for all that. Uh, I'm curious about like the, the flipping that you're doing there with your, with your partner, your dad on that. A couple of questions. First of all, what's that like partnering with a family member? I know a lot of people have problems with it and I've done it, but what's that like? What are some things to be aware of? What are some things that have worked really well? Uh, and what are things that people should consider? Yeah. Good question. I think that people should consider if they should do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, cause it, there, there, there's tension, you know what I mean? Like there's tension yeah. in, in any partnership, but especially with, when it's family. So I think that there's a lot of sitting down beforehand and managing expectations that needs to happen before you go into any deals. Don't make anything just a handshake deal and stuff like that. Now we don't have any drawn up contracts or anything, but we did sit down and, and, and hash it out and say, okay, if we do a deal here where you guys live, like you're probably going to be the managing partner. So if you're not going to be the one, like if you're going to be managing it, then we need to bring more money to the table. So if you're managing it, we'll secure all the financing and uh, we'll pay the debt on, on, uh, on the, on the loan and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I think it's just important to hash those kinds of things out beforehand. And then, if you feel that in the future there's going to be too much contention, just don't do it. I, that's just my opinion. Like I, I, I don't think that it's like it's not worth causing a lot of tension at the Thanksgiving dinner table. You know what I mean? Like I, like if you think that's yeah. going to be a lot, then then come up with a different come up with a different partnership structure. Maybe you don't split things 50 50 and maybe it's more like a, Hey, uh, if you find a deal out there, but you, you know, want some outside financing, like I'll do all of that, but we'll make it a different split. We won't be equal partners. Like it'll just be like a different type of a commission or a different type of profit split on that profit yeah. share on that. So I, I think that you just have to like be really upfront with everything. And then if you do a couple of deals and it starts to go South and you can sense that there's going to be future contention about it and, and it's going to put a lot of stress in your relationship, then I would just say, you know, it's time to probably just back out and, uh, and reevaluate. I think the number one source of hurt feelings or damaged relationships is unmet expectations that exactly. usually stem from uncommunicated expectations. And it's usually not like a bad motive. People just don't even know that yep. they need to do this, right? Yep. They just haven't thought this could ever come up. And when you sit down and you say, okay, here's what we both want. Let's make sure we're on the same page. A lot of things pop up that you weren't even thinking you needed to worry about. That It actually becomes like a business plan. It could really benefit you in a lot of ways when you do that. And you know that you didn't do that when someone does something that hurts someone else's feelings and they didn't even realize that that could hurt their feelings or somebody feels like they got screwed over when they really didn't, but they feel that way because it was never communicated up front. This was the way it was going to work. I, I just, I don't think I can stress that enough that when you're in the beginning and it's all just new and shiny and cool and you just want to jump into it, you got to sit down and talk about 
all the things that could happen and get a feel for what the other person's going to do and how they're going to respond and how you're going to split that up to make sure that you actually do want to be in business with that person. Yeah, totally. 100% agree with that. Yeah, really, really good there. All right. So let's move to uh, your financing. I mean, like to finance these flips and we'll, we'll dive into one of them, I'm assuming in the deal deep dive, but how are you typically financing these deals? A combination of hard money, private money, and credit cards, strategic credit cards. Credit cards. Yeah. How so? So now we've, we've worked to uh, obviously got to have good credit, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. but, uh, and typically you're going to build really good, a uh, relationship with the bank that you currently bank at, and they'll probably give you larger credit lines. But we put, we put one of our last rehabs entirely on credit cards and pay zero interest on it because we basically opened up a couple of credit card lines at the beginning of the, of the project. And every time that we paid for anything on that, we threw them on those credit cards, but there's 0% interest for a 12 month period uh, at an intro APR. So we have access to 0% financing instead of having our hard money finance the 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 rehab and then sure. paying interest on that we just throw them on these credit cards that that's that that I don't know why more people don't take advantage of that to be honest we have now like a hundred and I'm odd estimating right now but hundred and fifty hundred and sixty thousand dollars in like in credit card lines just unsecured debt and some people might disagree with me on that because they're like oh they're credit cards and those are bad yeah. you know but it's another one of those blanket statements right another one of those overarching yeah. statements that it's like well yeah if if I go put a freaking Lamborghini on it's probably yeah. not a great <laughs> idea like if I go buy 12 flat screen TVs like probably not a great idea but to use it as zero percent in like interest debt to help me like make money, uh, yeah, one hundred percent. Why would I not take advantage of that? I think that's um, one of like the different tactics that we've used. Um, my buddy, my buddy Bill Jennings is a, is a master at, at all this kind of stuff. He helped. He's the one who kind of helped us like figure out which cards are good are good ones to get, which ones are good uh, to use, and uh, uh, you know how how to structure them, where to put them, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I would I would definitely look into that if you're not already using those. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. I've, I've used them for similar purposes. The other benefit is you can sometimes, if you get the right card, you can sometimes get reward miles and get Tundra free rewards. flights and yeah, get a 100%. vacation out of every flip. Yeah. Like I've been flying for free for the last year because we put a bunch yeah. of rehab stuff on all of our credit cards, man. Like it's yeah. like, it just totally makes sense. I love hearing that. This just came up with last night when I was talking with a client who wants to buy a new house and he doesn't want to have to sell his house and buy one at the same time. Cause that's, I'll save the time, but it's very complicated to try to do both. So we, we kind of dug in and we looked at his options and I realized he has a ton of equity in his home. The only reason he's selling it is to get that equity to put it in the new house, right? And I said, well, what if we just took out a HELOC? We use that money as a down payment for the house you want to buy. Once you've bought it, then we can sell your house and you don't have to worry about trying to do both. And it was like, that's incredible. But I always thought HELOCs were bad. That's what they said, right? Like HELOCs are bad. That's how you lose stuff. And they can be bad if you go buy a boat yeah. or an RV or a Lamborghini or some some liability that doesn't make money. But to go buy a house you were going to buy anyways, you're just accessing your equity earlier and very cheap. And I just love that point you're making, Travis, is when we get into that fixed or fixed kind of mindset that just thinks the good and bad, and that's all there is to it. Credit cards are bad. Debt is bad. HELOCs are bad. Real estate is bad. We close down to all the opportunities that's out there. I mean, there's even people that think networking is bad because when they hear the word networking, what they think is like, oh, multi-level marketing scammers who are out there trying to get me to give them something for free, yep, right? Yep. As opposed to bringing value to as many human beings as you possibly can and trying to live a good life and knowing that's going to get you back. That's a whole different way of looking at it. But when they hear networking, they just have a closed mindset way of thinking about it. 100%, man. Yeah, debt, like not all debt is bad. 
uh, if you're going to err on one side, maybe err on the safer side of that. But um, again, do the research for your particular situation and find out if it's going to be a good or bad uh, deal or opportunity for you. Figure out like, say, say, like, ask yourself, is this some, is this a project that I'm going to be in for a really long time? Do we have a renter in here? Is this a long-term project? This is, is this maybe a short sale and uh, the bank is going to take way longer to approve the deal? And what happens if I'm coming up on my, the end of my introductory APR period? You know what I mean? Like, what if I already used six months of it and now I only have six months left and I'm putting this offer in on the short sale. And like the last time we did that, this has honestly happened actually. The last time we did a short sale flip, it took almost 10 months to get the the bank approval on it. So we were just sitting there, had the tenant in there. Like you can't, you can't just throw stuff on a card willy nilly because one as soon as the interest kicks in, I mean, those cards are, even if you have good credits, 16, 17% interest. So you don't want to be paying that kind of interest. Um, so as long as you have a way to get out of that debt, if worse came to worse, if push came to shove, um, then I don't see why you shouldn't be trying to utilize it. Yeah, that's really, really good. Really good. All right. So I want to move on in a minute to the deal deep dive. Before I do, I want to, I mean, you've been interviewing people about networking and building your relationships for a long time. Now you've interviewed over 200 people. Is there any other other things that you're like, yeah, I, I, th- this is just gold. I want to share this. There's something I've learned. Here's something, a mistake people made. Anything else you want to add? I just don't want to leave anything off, you know, off this episode that would help people if you got something on your mind. Yeah, I think that there's 10 episodes on just the networking topic. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it is a, it's a good question. It's just uh, trying to think of just like a couple of them off the top of my head um, is sometimes difficult. I will sure. keep going back to the platform thing sure. because I don't like the number one thing. So if you look at, and I, I'm not saying this to like you know, be arrogant or whatever. I'm just like, just to throw out a couple of people that I've brought on my show and and keep in mind too, I launched this in August of 2017. So it's been like a year and a half. And since then being able to interview, like, like literally my heroes, like Grant Cardone and, and John Lee Dumas and, uh, Jay Papazan and, you know, Chris and Lori Harder and, uh, Jeff Hoffman, this co-founder of Priceline.com and, you know, like multiple billionaires, multiple multimillionaires. And up to the point, like before I started my show, the, like the richest person I knew was like making less than a quarter million dollars a year. Like the richest person, like the one that was doing the best of everybody that I knew. So as soon as I started my show, like my network has literally exploded in the last year and a half. And that's just, just from the podcast, man, like the, the platform, like building a building a platform is like so important because the number one thing to become a better networker, the number one thing is to add value, to learn how to give without the expectation of receiving anything in return. If there's a great book on this by Adam Grant called Give and Take, I don't know if you guys have have read of it or have read it or heard of it. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. Okay. So he goes into this very, into, into this concept on a really deep level. So just to kind of give you like a quick synopsis of what he's saying, basically he he's a, he's a professor at um, a really prestigious school. So everything he says, is backed by loads and loads and loads of research. So he basically goes, okay, so the research says that on the six, on the success ladder, there's three different types of people. There's givers, there's takers, there's matchers. Obvi- like you can figure out what they mean. You know, givers are people that give without expecting anything to return. Takers are always looking to take things more than they give. And matchers are only willing to give if there's something in it for them. So on the success ladder, like where would you put the givers on the success ladder? Like off the top of your head, where would you put the givers? Probably most people would be like, oh, I mean, yeah. probably at the bottom, the you know, like, like, wait, so, like the, the givers, people who give, okay, yeah, yeah, pe- yeah, people yeah. who give without ever like 
making yeah, anybody give to them. Right. Like, yeah, you wouldn't think they would have anything. Because they're, they're doormats, right? Like that's how yep. people look at them is this, is this yep. person's a doormat. Takers, you would think are like, oh, they got to be at the top because they're always looking to get, 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 get. You know, maybe, maybe you might think matchers might be at the top because like they help people, but only in a transactional manner. But what was interesting is that they found that givers are at the bottom, but they're also at the top. So givers fill out the top and the bottom of this of the quote unquote success ladder and takers and matchers are right in the middle. So based on all this empirical data that they're going through, they found that giving and giving and giving without the expectation of receiving anything in return with the caveat, like with a couple caveats uh, to make sure that you don't become a doormat, you will always like rate, like rise to the top level in your field. So that was something that was like a mind blowing thing for me. I, I'm probably more of like a matcher. This, my reciprocity style naturally is more of a matcher. Like I'm more of like a, you know, tit for tat kind of a guy, but ever since like really learning that and implementing it with just the expectation that things are going to go well, and hopefully they do, it has been literally life-changing. Uh, my buddy Jordan Harbinger, who hosts the Jordan Harbinger show in iTunes, which is a fantastic podcast. He always ha- hits this point home and he's one of the best like living, you know, proofs of this particular concept is he adds value to so many people and he gives without asking for anything so that when, whenever you have an ask, like you're going to have a bunch of people that are willing to come help you out and support you. And they're rooting for you the whole time because you've helped so many people along the way. And one of the easiest ways, going back to my first point, one of the easiest ways for me to add value to somebody who I have never met before is by bringing them on to the platform that I've built and created for myself. So bringing yeah. them onto my podcast, like when I reach out, well, perfect example, bro. Like when I reached out to you, like if I didn't have a platform, a show, like a way for you to get in touch with people who you may, have, may not have ever had the possibility of getting in touch with, like the reason that you were willing to come on my show was because I had spent the last year, year and a half, whatever it was at that point, building up this credibility, building up this platform and building up this value adding excuse just to reach out and connect with the people that I want to talk to. Like, cause I'm a pretty simple guy. Like I just like having relationships with cool people. Like I just really like to spend time with people that are super cool and just get to know people. There's no better way to do that. Like if you're going to do, if you're going to try to do that anyway, you may as well just record it and throw it onto iTunes and call it a podcast. Like it's just, yeah. a, it's such a simple, simple thing. And it doesn't have to be bigger pockets. It doesn't have to yeah. be at three, four five million downloads a month. Like it doesn't have to be to those numbers in order for it to yeah. be a quote unquote success. Like all it is, is an excuse for you to reach out to people that you really, really want to connect with. And it's the perfect way to add value to those people. And you're not asking them for something. You're not saying like, Hey, come on my show because I want to do well. It's like, come on my show because, hey, I really believe in your message. I really believe in like helping you get this out to more people. And I have this audience here that I've, that I've put together. Um, they would love to hear from you and I'd I'm, I'm be happy to feature you on the show. Like it's a value adding excuse. So uh, I know that was a long winded answer, but uh, to me, it oh, always goes back to, it always goes back to how can I add value in this situation? How can I bring something to the table and help other people without, you know, marking it in my head and being like, well, Brandon knows me because I put him in front of my audience. <laughs> So like, you yeah. better do this, 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 and this for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that at all. It's just a genuine desire to help people. And like I said, at the beginning of the show, when you put out good stuff, you're going to get good stuff back. Like when you, when you, you when, yep. when you focus on, you get more of, so you put out that good stuff and put out, um, uh, helpful things for people. And it's just, it's just always going to come back to you. You just got to trust that. That's cool. You know, another guy that does a really good job of this, of just giving, 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 and like, it's 
paid him back a ton. Uh, Noah Kagan. I don't know if you know Noah at all from mm, Sumo, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Like Noah Kagan just always like, I mean, he's the one that introduced me to Tim Ferriss, which is how we got Tim Ferriss on our show. He's just like, yeah, here, here's Tim. Here's my buddy, Tim. Let me introduce you. Like there was no like tit for tat. There was no like right. expecting anything. It was just like, let me provide value to you because you're you. And because I like providing value. That's so good. I'm sure you get that all the time of people reaching out to you like, Hey man, uh, let me introduce you to this person for your podcast. And then maybe, you know, yes. if it works out, you yeah. can introduce me to this person or I can come on your show. Maybe, I yep. don't know, question mark. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. actually you're probably going to be in the bottom of my inbox now because like, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to do Like, I don't want to accept your help if it comes with, if, it, if it's conditional, conditional like if you're, yeah. if it's already something that you're expecting me to like have this virtual contract in my brain to like deliver something for you whenever you ask for it. Like, no, man, no, just keep it to yep. yourself. Like I'm not interested. All right. So one more note on, or question on that, on that topic. And then we'll move on. When people want to reach out to somebody who's an influencer in their area, and I don't mean like, you know, they're Instagram famous, but I mean like they're a real estate investor in their market who's just crushing it. They're the guy doing 300, you know, flips a year, right? How do they approach that person? I mean, if they don't, if they don't have a platform, if they don't have a podcast or a meetup yet, what are some like, what kind of email is going to get responded to hmm. and what one is just going to be deleted to the bottom of the inbox or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. It's something that people struggle. I, I mean, honestly, like let's be real. Like I delete and can't answer 80% of the emails that I get from people. Right. It's right. a very, even podcasts that I'm asked to go on. I don't do 90% of them. So how did you get me on your show? I don't even know. I mean, like for whatever reason, something you did made me go, Oh yeah, I like that guy. That sounds like a fun show or yeah, I would love to talk with him. Yeah. That's a fantastic question, man. There's five things that should be in any of your of your email reach out. Any any reach out in general, there should be five pieces to that. Um, let me actually just pull this up so I can like just go over it really quick if if we got some time. Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, go ahead. Um, that way I can just kind of show you exactly what I'm what I'm meaning by this. Well, while you're looking that up, let me ask let me ask David Green here the same exact question because David, you get hit up all the time as well. Like what makes you respond to somebody and actually want to go to lunch with them or actually want to go get coffee or whatever? What, what, you know, what makes them rise? It's, it's, I, when you asked it to him, I immediately started thinking the same thing. Like, yeah, just logistically speaking, there's no way we can get to everyone. And I started thinking of the obvious things that will make me not get back to you. Right. A really, really long detailed message that you're asking me to read when I don't know you first (laughs) off, just like negative. We're done right there. Right. Another one would be a very vague proposal. Hey, I like kind of want to mentor by you, but uh, like, just let me know how I can help you and I'll help you back. Like, okay, you tried, you started on the same path, but you put zero effort into thinking about how you could even help me. So you didn't paint a picture I could get into. Right. I think the people that get a good response from me are the ones who have said, I know what you're doing. I've researched what it takes to be good at what you're doing. I've matched that up with the skills I have. I am willing to do this, and I'm only asking for this in return. Like, you want something. You want mentorship. You want friendship. You want a relationship. You want – you just think I'm cool, so you want to be around me. Whatever the case may be, that's okay. If you don't tell me what you want at all, I'm probably not going to trust that you just want to bring value and don't want anything back in return, right? Like, maybe that is who you are, but it's very difficult – so just say, I'm hoping that being around you will help me improve my own game. That's fine. Like, at least I can understand that. And then I can make the decision on if I think you'd fit in. But most people don't put the work in ahead of time to even give me a proposal to know if this is a good idea or not. They're making me figure out, like, now I got to interview you and figure out if I want your help. And I feel like we say this all the time, but when people reach out, they still just don't do it. They just want to throw something out there and just shoot their shot. Like, Hey, let's just see. I'll just email this guy. (laughs) But when you're reading it, like it's very obvious. You didn't even 
It's like submitting a job resume when you don't know anything about the company you're going to work for. Yeah. Right? They, they're not going to hire you. Right. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with that. Let me, uh, these are just, uh, if we have, if we got time, Brandon, five yeah, quick things I, here I love it. that I, I put is, these are just like the five key elements of an effective reach out message, especially if it's cold. Number one, lead with value. I, if you, if you can't tell, I like to add value <laughs> to people. Um, so number one, lead with value. So this doesn't have to be like offering to do something insane for them. Like if you're like a, you know, a ghostwriter, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to reach out and be like, Hey, would love to write a book for you. Like you don't have to do yep. stuff like that. I just mean, start with like a compliment, start with something about them, start with thanking them, complimenting something that has had 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 an impact on you. So I, I don't remember exactly what I said to you, Brandon, but when I did reach out, it probably sounded something like, Hey, Brandon, really appreciate what you're up to. I've been following your stuff for a long time. And, uh, this and and then I gave probably a specific example of something that that uh, that Bigger Pockets has done for me that has directly impacted my life, but I keep it really quick, succinct. So lead with value, but be specific. Don't just say like, "Hey, love your stuff." Anyway, like, you know, that's so generic. And, uh, and then also I've had people like literally copy and paste the title of an episode of one of my shows from my website and put it in their email. Like the formatting is literally different. Like it's my website formatting and they just copied and pasted it and put it in their email without even like worrying about like, Hey, paste and match style. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I was just like, okay, you obviously have never consumed a single piece of my content or like people will reach out to friends of mine that don't have interview shows and ask them to come on their show. And it's like, you don't know anything about my show because I don't interview people. Like it's a solo show. So like clearly you have zero idea what I'm doing. So be specific and do a little bit of research and help yourself lead with value. So start, start the message off by leading with some value. Number two, give some information, but do it in a limited amount of words. So whatever information that you can give, keep it short, sweet, and to the point, but give them the opportunity to like go somewhere else if they do want to read more about it. So like, I'll just put a hyperlink on my show. So for me specifically, it's just like, Hey, I have this show, it's called build your network. And then I will hyperlink build your network to my website. So if they want to go look at more information and figure out everything about me and my whole life story, they can, but I'm not going to throw that in the email um, because like David just said, you got to keep it short or else it's just going to be filtered down straight to the bottom of the inbox, to the deep abyss of the dark inbox. So give information. (laughs) Number three, build a meaningful request. I have an entire separate training on this because this is like really where the rubber meets the road and it's difficult to say one blanket statement because it's going to be different for every single person. You have to have a meaningful request. And I'll say two, like I'll say one hard no on this. Stop asking people if you can pick their brain. I don't know a single person that has like limits on their time that responds well to that question. Not one single person. So like if you're asking people to like pick their brain or asking them to a virtual cup of coffee, you know, um, like stop that, knock that off. It's we're not a pick and pull. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, I really want a carburetor. Can I look for one inside your brain somewhere? (laughs) You you gotta, you gotta realize that like, look, people are strapped for time. Like if, if like Brandon is a nice guy, trust me, I'm talking to him right now. Like he's a nice dude, but like, 
he doesn't he doesn't have time to hop on 20 minute pick your brain phone calls for every single person that reaches out yes. or he'd never do anything with his time other than that. So and like yeah. you said, Travis, time is the most valuable asset there. hundred percent. When you're asking someone for that a couple minutes to pick your brain, it's probably more valuable to them than asking him for a hundred dollars. Right. I, I was just going to say that if somebody asked for a hundred bucks, I'd rather, I mean, I'm not going to give it to yeah. them anyway, but I would rather do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Spend then, 30 yes. Minutes, yes. Generally. Exactly. So build yeah. a meaningful request. Don't just say, can I pick your brain or can I get you a virtual cup of coffee over zoom or whatever? Like don't say stuff like that. Uh, you have to build your meaningful request. And I have a bunch of ideas on how to do that in my training. Anyway, um, number four, offer credibility. This is, I think, probably the piece that I focus on the most, Brandon, because the more credible that you are, the more yep. likely you are to get a response. Yes. So if you personally don't have any credibility, then you can borrow credibility from people that you've associated with, which is like the magic for me. That's where the magic happens on my show. Because like, so literally when I reached out to you, Brandon, I probably did this because I do this for every single person I reach out to. It was most likely on Instagram. And what I most likely did is I probably went to the people that you follow on Instagram and I listed every single person that you follow that I've had on my show and put them in my reach out message on purpose. So even if there's like 17 people or 23 people, I will list every single freaking person <laughs> because I think the credibility piece is the biggest piece of the whole puzzle. That is so good. Um, so like I literally will go to like your profile and be like, hey, he follows Jay Papazan. He follows Grant Cardone. He follows this person, this person, this person, this person. Everybody that's been on my show, like he follows these, these 11 people. So in my reach out message, after I've led with value, after I've given some information on myself, built a meaningful request, I'll offer a little bit of credibility. Hey, just FYI, here's a few people that have already been on, you know, and I'll list all the people that I know that you know, because you follow them. And, uh, and then I, I, I hit that point home. And then at the end, I'll say something like, would love to add you to this, you know, awesome lineup or something like that. And, and if you don't have an incredible list of contacts to impress people with, then start small and any sort of social proof here is really the credibility. So maybe use a recognizable brand that you've worked with in the past, or maybe use, or and if, if you don't have any of that, just list off a few people who've worked with you, because even though they may not be recognizable names, just the fact that they've worked with you speaks to the psychological principle of social proof. And it will say like, okay, people in general have a good feeling about working with this person. So even if you don't have an impressive list of people, still list off a few people that you've worked with or, you know, uh, partnered with or whatever, even if they're not recognizable, just because the the principle of social proof is such, such is, is such an important and valuable principle. So offer credibility, number four. And number five, always finish it off with a thanks in advance. I always, anytime I'm asking for something in a message, reach out, an email, Instagram, whatever it is, I always finish it with thanks in advance. And here's why. My, my dog Snowball encapsulates this better than like anything. So I always use her as an example. She's this 140 pound Great Pyrenees Anatolian Shepherd mix. Um, she look, looks like a giant white lab, and she's like the sweetest, dopiest, like huggable teddy bear of a dog that you've ever seen. So sometimes when I walk by her, she will like not move her head at all. She just like looks up at me, like glances up with her eyes, and like catches my eye. And as soon as she catches my eye, she starts wagging her tail before I do anything. And even though I probably wasn't even intending on leaning over and scratching her, yep. I feel like I kind of got to do it now because she's already yep. wagging her tail. And am I really going to be like disappointing her like that? Like it makes me feel bad. So it's the same exact thing when you say something like thanks in advance, you're, you're thanking someone in advance for already acquiescing to the request that you made earlier. 
So what it does is it subconsciously creates a desire to like finish that loop and perform that task that you've already thanked them for. Um, so I, and I know that that's not something that's going to like increase your response rates exponentially, but like for me, I'm all about those incremental like little things and coming from a door to door sales background, this is a, what I taught anything that can help me get a percentage of like one or two points higher, closer to a yes, like for sure, I'm going to do it. So every single time I finish off with a thanks in advance just to let them know like, Hey, I'm intending on this happening. And I hope that you are also intending on this happening. But yeah, those are my five things. So lead with value, give information, credibility, meaningful requests, thanks in advance, and then toy around with it, play around with it. Uh, All right. So while you were doing that, I pulled up the original message I got from you. Let me, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll sum up, right? Okay. (laughs) So I'll, I'll tell you how you did this so beautifully, right? It's like, Hey Brandon, my name is Travis. My buddy, Jared Butterfield said, he told me you'd be reaching out, right? So now I got a guy that I, that you basically pulled in somebody I already knew and trusted. I don't even know how I met Jared originally, but we know him from years back. I think we're Facebook friends, whatever. Anyway, you brought in his name. So now I'm instantly like, Oh, okay. It's a recommendation to connect. Right. And I think he even, he said, he told you I'd be reaching out. So you got, at some point he connected me to you, right? Probably on Instagram. Then two reasons I wanted to reach out. First of all, I'm a huge fan of your show. You're one of the first podcasts I've ever listened to. Leave the value. Uh, Right, leave, yeah. And I have a podcast called Build Your Network where I interview people on the show. Give information. Some people have been, yep. <laughs> yep. Some people in the past, Grant Cardone, Kevin Harrington, Ed Milet, Lori Harder, JP Sears, John Lee Dumas, Jordan. Yeah. I mean, all these people like Chris Gillibo. I follow all of them. Uh, as I'm, uh, I currently have Amy Porterfield, Jack Canfield, and Jay Papazon on the schedule. Right, like, I'd love to add you to the lineup. All people that I follow and like. And then you end it with, I, I have a recommendation for your show as well. One of my m- mentors has made millions in real estate. I think he'd be great. Let me know when a good time to talk is. Thank you in advance. Brandon, right? And you know how I responded to that? I don't even remember this. I said, I can't do it. I said, I'm too busy. I'm moving to Hawaii right now. I can't That's do right, it. Yep. And I said, can you, can you follow back up in a few months? And I Guess did. what? <laughs> Two months later, you followed back up with an email that you took a screenshot of your show being ranked like number 151 on all, all iTunes. And it was just like a subtle, like, Hey, you know, my show's a big deal, right? Like that credibility, <laughs> right? Yeah. Just wanted to follow up with you. Got to right? pack that credibility in there, man. And I have a whole yeah. thing on follow-up too, because the follow-up is yeah. the bread. The follow-up is like, huge. Yeah. yeah. So huge. Yes. Yeah, so I actually good. had a so guy good. one time real quick. I had a guy one time. Yeah. Um, I forget who it was. It was, a, it was a prominent influencer and I reached out and, um, I reached out the second time that I reached out, he agreed to come on my show and we were talking about it. And he told me he literally says no to every yep. single request that comes across his desk the first time. It says no to yeah, every I, single one, no matter how good or bad, yep, whatever it yep, yep. says, no, just to weed out people who don't do it. He's like, bro, probably 20% of people actually reach out again. And I was like, yeah. what? That's mind blowing. Like 80% yep. of people just are like, oh no. Okay. Bye. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I'll never reach out again. Sorry to waste your time. You know what it's like? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, no, no, no. If you really believe in your message, you're going to want to get it across, reach out again, do that follow-up, but don't do it in like a pushy, annoying way. Cause then that's going to just turn people off. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fantastic. I, re- I really enjoyed that a lot because yeah, again, I, I, I live in that all the time and there are people I want to reach out to the real estate investors that are just rock stars. And, and, uh, I think this is so important. So again, if you guys, if you guys got a lot of value out of that, go back and listen again uh, to that last five or 10 minutes. It was so good. So, but before we get out of here, I want to move over to the last couple segments of our show. Next, let's get to the deal deep dive. <laughs> You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. 
Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. All right, let's get to the deal deep dive. This is the part of the show where we dive deep into just one particular deal that you've recently done or something that you, you know, whether good, whether bad, whatever, we just kind of get our audience uh, more familiar with a specific deal. So number one, I got, I got a list of questions to throw at you about a deal. First of all, do you have a deal in mind? Something that we can yeah, sure. pick yeah, your brain on? Yep, okay. let's do it. <laughs> number one, what kind of property was this? Like what, what was the plan? What, what was it? Single family home for the purpose of uh, fix and flip. Alrighty. Okay. Had this one was through a network. This is the one I actually referred to earlier in the show. That was through the uh, the handyman that uh, was just out fixing somebody's stuff and knew that we were looking for a deal and hit us up as soon as he figured out that she might be interested in selling. Perfect. How much was this property? Two hundred and forty six thousand was the actual was like the actual pur- purchase price. They wanted I think two fifty five for it. Okay. And how did you negotiate them from two fifty five to two forty six? We always go with like whenever I do anything in negotiation, I always anchor the conversation based on something that's not me setting the price. So whether it's like a comp or something that I can refer back to the value in the area, or even like if the, if, and if those two don't support what I'm asking for, it might just be the fact that like, I only do deals at this certain percentage. So like, I, Hey, look, I only do deals. If I can, if I can ensure at least a 10% net on the ARV return, like, so if, if I can't get it for this price, then it's not going to make sense for me. So it, it's always something that's like out of my control. It's got to be something out of your control. Because if you just name a price, that's when you get in the haggling mode and you don't want to be haggling with people. You want to talk terms, not price. Um, and so when I throw that out there, it's more like, a, hey, yeah, this is this is, you know, this is the price that we that we have to pick it up for. Like, we just don't have an option here. Like, if, if it's not for this price, it just doesn't make sense. That's great. That's that's gold. Uh, how did you fund this particular deal? This one was, I believe, just hard money. So we borrowed okay. at like 8% and two points. All right. And by the way, I didn't mention this earlier. I could have. For those who don't know what hard money is, just go search bigger pockets for hard money lenders. But also, if you go to biggerpockets.com slash hard money lenders, we have the webs, I believe, I mean, I don't think anybody else has even close to as large as ours. So I think we have the web's largest 
hard money lender directory right there, organized by state uh, and a little bit of description of what they do and what they don't do. So anyway, check it out, y'all. Next one. What did you do with this deal? We put about... I think it was forty-one, forty-two thousand dollars or so into the rehab, held for about ninety days, and then got rid of it. All right. What was the outcome then? Uh, we made a little bit less than that ten percent that we usually go for. We made about thirty thousand dollars on it, so we ended up selling it for I think like three fifty, three forty. So made a little bit less than what we typically shoot for, but uh, overall, it was a good deal. Yeah, solid. Last one. What lessons did you learn from this deal? Yeah, probably one of the bigger lessons was making sure. So the guy that brought us the deal, we had a little bit of a little bit of trouble with because when he found out what we were going to make on it, he all, like all of a sudden wanted more, um, which is an interesting thing on negotiation too. Yeah. By the way, like uh, anybody, like people will agree to a deal that they think is fair, but if some other outside circumstance tells them that it's not fair, like. The, the fairness matters more to people than the actual deal itself. Like countless studies have, 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 you know, proven this to be true where, um, people will, will look at, will, will, will be okay with the deal, but then find out that somebody else did the same thing for a little bit better of a deal. And then all of a sudden they're up in arms and they're upset, even though they were totally okay yep. with and possibly even happy about the initial deal that they did. So, yep. um, it was a, it was a lesson to make sure that we hammered that stuff out before anything happened. Just to like, Hey, you understand that like, this is like the finder's fee and you're not getting like, you're not a partner in the deal. You're not getting equity on yep. like based on the profit, like, but also means you don't have any of the risk. Like this is not a bad deal. This is still a good deal, but because it turned out well, he wanted more. And so it was a lesson to make sure we get that stuff hammered out beforehand. Brandon, you look like you have something to add here. Well, I was just going to say, we talked about the, the theology thing earlier. Do you remember like there's a story and I don't know, one of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John of the Bible, right? Where they, I think it was Jesus mm. tells a story about like these workers in a field, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like, he, yes. the one yep. guy shows up at eight o'clock and he says, I'll pay you 20 bucks. The other guy shows up at 10 and he, he, he basically like- He gives them the, the same day, amount of money for like yeah, less, less yep. work. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, the guy goes and pays all of them, starting with the guy who showed up and only worked for an hour and he gives them his 20 bucks. So the first guy's like, well, I better be getting way more than 20 bucks. Right. And then he gets so many, gives him his 20 bucks. And he's like, well, you know, I worked way longer. It's not fair. That guy, but he's like, but you agreed to it. Like, it's like the exact principle, right? I d- yeah. This is what you we said agreed on. This it. is what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he says like, who cares? The, the, the message right? It's like, who cares if I want to be generous, right? If I want to give the last guy the same as you, like, why does that affect you? Right. But that same principle applies to people constantly. Exactly. Like, it's just not fair. Yeah. If they right? wouldn't, cause if he wouldn't have seen them give the other guy the 20 bucks, it would have been totally fine. Everything would have been fine. He would have been happy with the deal, but because somebody else, like the fairness of it actually like prevents them from wanting to be a part of anything in the future. So yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. All right. Well, that was super cool. And that was the end also of the deal deep dive. You know, I really love that segment of the show. And with that, let's move on to the segment that we love to call the fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, of course, let's get to the fire round. These questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, and we're going to fire them at you right now, nice and quick. And we're only going to do a couple of them now because it's been a, a longer show, and uh, already there's been so much stuff in here. So we'll shorten this. Uh, let me go to the first one, though. I like this one from Simon in Oakland, California. I'm trying to get started flipping in one of the hottest markets in the country. I've been looking for almost a year now. I've not found anything. Not I'm not having any luck with wholesalers. I'm not getting response from direct mail letters. I'm making low offers on the MLS and nothing's working. Any advice on finding a deal to flip in this hot market? 
Yeah, for me, the first thing that I would do would be to look out for the top investors in that market and then offer to add some sort of value piece to them and get around them to help them with their deals. And this goes for anybody. If you're a beginner in anything, like if you're a beginner, if you're trying to get started in whatever it is, get around the people who are doing it the best and volunteer your time in exchange for rubbing shoulders with that person. Um, because I guarantee you, if you get around one of the, some of the top investors in Oakland, you're going to find some deals. Like you're going to rub some rub some shoulders with the people who are finding all the good deals and doing all the good deals. You're going to find them. It's literally exactly what I did with the podcasting thing was getting around somebody like John Lee Dumas. I volunteered my time to work two events for him totally for free. Didn't ask him for a diamond return. I sold a bunch of journals for him using my years of sales experience. Didn't ask for any commissions, just did it to add value. But I rubbed shoulders with somebody who's made millions and millions and millions of dollars podcasting. And it was a huge experience that helped me to be able to find and fund everything that I wanted to do. So if you're in that situation, find the people who are doing the deals, find the people who are producing like crazy and just offer to add some value, volunteer your time or some connection or something to, to just get in that same circle of people. Yeah. You know, we, we talk, we've talked a lot lately on the show about modeling success. Uh, and that's one other benefit of like, not only are you going to maybe get their help by helping them, like maybe they'll give you something back someday. Right. But like, also you just get to see what they're doing. Whenever somebody says, I can't find any properties to flip in Oakland or whatever. Right. My first question is like, is anybody flipping in Oakland at all? Yep. Has there been one flip in the past year? Well, yeah, there's lots of people flipping. Okay. So they're doing something that's working go figure it out. And one of the best ways to learn from somebody is to go and provide value to them. Yep. So exactly. 100% yeah, model. Man. What they're if somebody's doing, doing it. Yep. You can do it. Just got to figure exactly. out how they're doing it. Yep. I love that. Another Instagram quote right there. We actually just put uh, one of our clients into contract on a house in Oakland for $70,000 less than the appraised value. Wow. And that person was going to live in it, but now they're like, shoot, I'm going to flip this thing. And they're going <laughs> to use the money to pay their down payment for the house they're going to live in. So they are out there and uh, you should come to one of the meetups that I'm doing. We're doing how to flip a house meetups every month through bigger pockets. So yeah, that's great advice you guys gave. Find someone who's doing it well and learn, but don't give up because it can be done. Okay. No. Next question here. I'm starting to look at investing in real estate. I live in Southern California, but I grew up in Michigan where starter homes are closer to my price range. My question is this, for those who started investing in real estate, did you stay local? Do you think it's a mistake to think about investing out of state given my lack of experience at this point? I think yes. I don't think that investing out of state is a bad idea. I just think that if you're first getting started, you should probably stick to local. And my the first thing that I would do if you're first getting started is like your first deal, I think should be some sort of a house hack, like what, what Brandon talks about a lot, because it's going to familiarize, like you're going to get really familiar with the process. Um, it's something that you can touch, feel like with your hands, you can walk through. Um, plus you get an FHA loan at three and a half percent down yeah. instead of having having to come up and fork out a ton of cash on a deal that you may or may not know if it's like super good or not. Um, so if you can like limit the amount of cash that you're putting down on that deal, that's probably a better idea to begin with. So I would start with the house hack and start in a local market. All right. Now I thought I was going to do two, but I'll do a third because I like this question. Last one, Aubrey from Knoxville. What's the single best piece of advice you got when you were starting out in real estate uh, and do you still follow it? And I know it might be hard to pull out the, yeah, it might be hard to pull out the single best, but what's a good piece of advice that you received early on? Yeah, probably, probably that real estate is like, this is going to sound super rudimentary, but, um, (laughs) when I, when I was first getting started, you know, I kind of had to be convinced that it was the thing to put my money in. You know, there's so many different things that you can put, that you can put your money into. And so the biggest piece of advice for me was just like, don't give up on real estate. 
figure out real estate. Like if you have a bad deal, if you lose a little bit of money, don't worry about it. Like, again, we, like we talked about the, on the show a couple of times, time is the asset. Money is not the asset. So don't get so yeah. worried about losing some money on a deal that you're afraid to pull the trigger. Um, like pull the trigger on a deal, get started and don't give up on real estate. Like just learn if you, if you mess something up, learn why and do it better next time. But I think the best advice would be don't give up on real estate because it's going to be the thing that really sets you apart and allows you to build the life that you really want. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get on to the last segment of the show. This is our famous four. Let's get to the famous four. Number one, do you have a favorite real estate specific real estate related book? Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to Jay Papazans. We talked about him a couple of times on the show. Millionaire yeah. real estate investor. All right. Fantastic. Awesome. Book. What is your favorite business book? Uh, there's so many, uh, but because uh, we talked a little bit about negotiation today and because it's fresh in my mind, because I finished it pretty recently, I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to say Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Fantastic book. Yeah, that is a great book. Great book. Very nice. What are some of your hobbies? Hobbies. I like comedy. So uh, my hobbies include consuming any form of comedy, uh, stand-up comedy and uh, sitcoms. I basically just like consuming things that put me in a good mood. Uh, but in terms of activities, I like doing pretty much anything. I like golfing. I like snowboarding. Um, I like playing basketball. I play pickup basketball a lot because that's a, basically all nice. I did growing up. And uh, honestly, I'm kind of blessed to uh, do a hobby of mine for a living now. So uh, now that I'm a full-time podcaster with something that was a hobby that turned into something full-time. And so um, I, I love spending a lot of my time doing, doing, uh, doing those kinds of things. And then I always just enjoy sitting and having a good cigar, a little bit of whiskey and enjoying a nice view wherever that may be. Nice. Nice. Well, we'll have to do that someday on my lanai out here in Maui. For sure, man. All right. Um, I'm curious, favorite comedian. Do you have a, do you have a favorite? Um, I'm, I'm going to say this guy because he's like, was like in my blood growing up and especially growing up as super Christian as I did, like we, we had to find super clean comics and it's hard yes, sometimes yeah, to too. find clean comics that are like actually funny. Still funny. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Brian Regan is uh, like my go-to. Same thing. Yep. Yep. He's I, my go-to, my man. Go Yep. That is my Did you see his new Netflix special? I did did? not yet. I just thought it was out though. I don't know how I missed it. Well, he did, he did a special, but then he did another like, um, like key and peel type comedy series where like he does a little bit of stand up, and then they show like a video clip of like whatever he was talking about in the stand up routine. And it's actually pretty funny. It's, I think it's called stand up in a way. Um, but there's like six episodes on there and it's, it's, it's pretty funny. All right. I know what I'm doing tonight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Last question. What do you think separates successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? Access to the right knowledge, um, which comes with access to the right people. You, you'll hear me say this a lot just because I'm, I'm a networking guy, but I truly believe it because I've seen it like flesh itself out. Um, I think the biggest, like, like, it just makes sense, right? If you think about it, if you knew everything to do, why would you not be doing it? The reason that you're not doing it confidently is that you don't have the knowledge that you need to do it confidently. And how do you get that knowledge in a much faster way than just like reading a book about it that's not specific to your situation? Go get around people who are doing it, get around people who are doing it well and learn from them and and then implement what they do because it's not enough just to learn. A lot of people stop at the learning piece and they can, they can riff about real estate all day, but they never even bought a deal because they're so afraid of taking action and pulling the triggers. So you got to learn from people who are doing it the best and then implement what they're actually saying to do. 
Brandon has a quote when he does his webinars that's really good that says, if if more information was the answer, we would all have six-pack abs and be billionaires. <laughs> right? It's it's not <laughs> just the information. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a quote, Derek Sivers like, quote, but Derek Brandon Sivers, but says say it. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like that thing where you quote someone else and it's your quote. Like I was saying, <laughs> yeah, you Scott. do like yeah, Michael, Michael Scott, Scott quoting yeah, exactly. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> you miss 100% Brandon, of the shots you don't take, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Michael Scott. <laughs> Michael Scott. That's, it should say Brandon Turner. He could have like three levels of that. When I was on the podcast for the first time, Brandon quoted himself on the podcast. He like said a quote that he thought was very inspirational, you know, but he I didn't tell anyone said, it was his. Josh I, caught it. I, I did not say it that way. I just I said a line and you made fun of me because it was like, anyway, we're not going to revisit that. Go listen to episode. 169 and listen to Josh just jump in and rip you apart like an eagle on a salmon. Man, it was it was bad, but it was actually really funny. That was when, when Brandon did that. Brandon's great at quotes. He just oh, isn't so great you. at being humble about them. Okay, last question. <laughs> Tell us, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, man, I'm, my website, TravisChapel.com. I have links to all my social stuff. If you are interested in that uh, in that training, I'm, yeah, it's it's totally free. Uh, you can just go to, it's at TravisChapel.com slash hero. It's basically everything I know about how to get in touch with your heroes. So those five elements cool. of an effective message is one of the lessons that I teach in there. Also like follow up, what platforms are the most effective ones to reach out to people on, um, how to build out your platform, like all those types of things, totally free training. Don't ask for anything. It's just TravisChapel.com slash hero. Or to make it easier, you can just go to meetyourherocourse.com. Uh, but either way, um, you can find it. I love it. I love it. Well, Travis, has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you know, we'll have to see you around and, you know, good luck on your real estate in the future and your podcasting uh, business. That's very cool. Yeah, appreciate it, bro. Thanks a lot for having me on. I had a blast. All right. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to head out of here and, uh, you know, go listen to another episode of the show or go over to Travis's show and listen to that one. It is called the Build Your Network podcast. All right. Thank you, everybody. David Green, you want to take us out? Great job, Travis. Thanks for being here. This is David Green for Brandon, the Colgate of Real Estate Turner, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.